Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host, and I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. We are very excited to have you with us today. And uh, Mark, are you there? I am here, Kevin. This is exciting. We have uh, Mark with us on location. I'm on location. This is 2019 style, and we're excited to have you guys. And uh, you can uh, find us by going to thehousinghour.com, find all of our shows, our past shows, and you can also share this particular show that we're doing with friends and family. It'll be up on Apple, SoundCloud, The Housing Hour, and all the social media platforms as well. We're on facebook.com slash the housing hour as well as twitter at the housing hour and also mark is our pinterest star you can find him as well so that's awesome i wish i wish we could have skipped that part (laughs) (laughs) well i'm excited to invite back into the show which we had him on it was one of our most outstanding shows of 2019 and uh, we have pete with us online uh pete how are you sir Oh, fantastic. Thanks for having me back. I guess I passed the test. You did. Absolutely. With an A plus. It was really good. And, you know, Pete, um, you wrote the book, um, Arsonist in the Office. It was a um, sort of a, a fictional tale of real events. So you changed names, you changed you know, locations, you changed some of the subject matter. But at the heart of the whole situation was uh, someone who you worked with, that you joined the a firm and uh, you you sort of had your eyes open to a lot of uh, interesting manipulation tactics, things that you don't see every day. And the book is very popular, and I've passed it around the office. Everybody really enjoyed it, by the way. And I wanted first, why don't we do this, Pete? Because Pete Havel, and that's how you pronounce your last name, right? That's right. Okay. Pete is going to be one of our resident experts because, you know, the thing that I really drew from this, and Mark and I were talking about it, is how much uh, your book, um, can help with people's companies, the company's culture. And we want to talk about a lot of things today, and I've got a list of topics as well. But first, before we do that, Pete, if you don't mind, just for the folks that maybe didn't hear the first show, um, and we're going to have that also on our link, and we'll have that available on thehousinghour.com. If you don't mind, can you just give us sort of the 30,000-foot view of what we talked about, kind of summarize it, and then I'll segue into our, our topic. Absolutely. My book, The Arsonist in the Office, is what it really does is take people kind of behind enemy lines, if you will, into the job from occupational hell. Mm. I walk people through uh, my first day on in, in taking a job that began with a conversation with my CEO where he explained to me that, well, he probably should have told me a lot of this before I took the job, but he didn't think I'd be there. I had been hired to work for the employee, with the employee that they had determined was too dangerous and too toxic to fire, so they kept him internal. Mm-hmm. Then they gave me most of that person's job and said, oh, by the way, she has sabotaged lots of people's work, has accused them of numerous things, and we're going to protect you the best you can, but good luck. Yeah. From there, I, I provide the mother of all educations on how to handle difficult people, broken cultures, and how to think, possibly what to do, because nobody thinks well under that kind of pressure. Mark, whenever you and I first initially heard this story, um, we I remember you telling me when, when you had read the book, you, you, you almost, I think it was like you were, like it scared you in a way. It was like, I, I can't even believe this. Is that sort of what your takeaway was initially? 
Well, it's one of those things when you read a book like this, you put yourself in Pete's place and, and how you would react, what you would think, what would you do? You just made a career change and you're excited about it, but then you get this, this thing unloaded on you and you don't really know what it means. So yeah, it, it hit me internally because I know how much I invest when I make a job change and I've only had like three in my life mm-hmm. and I'm 59. So I know what a gut kick that would be. And it, it, it really did terrify me. Yeah. And, and the people I, I actually spoke to that's, that have read the book um, thought it to be not just helpful, but also insightful in terms of, you know, it's kind of that feeling that you have when you're like, well, wow, I'm so glad that that wasn't, I didn't have to go through that, <laughs> you know, and I'm Pete, I'm sure you've heard that feedback from people. It's like, wow, I feel bad that you had to go through that. I, I've heard that. I definitely get those those emails and uh, connects on LinkedIn from random people who then send me the messages saying, "Oh my gosh, you may have just saved my job with with what you just told me." Or the other thing I'm hearing from is the CEOs of organizations who are saying, "You know what? I don't want to be the guy you described that 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 CEO who is letting all hell break loose inside an organization." frankly, because they just don't want to make a decision. Mm, 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 absolutely. And one of the things I think there's a thread here is um, you have to have a leadership team. And let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit because what occurred in your office, your, your particular industry that you are in is maybe different than some other industries in that you do have uh, maybe, I don't want to say big personalities, but, and, or I don't want to say ego either, but you know, you're doing stuff that are, that you really are trying to put the best face on a particular company, a particular situation. Um, can you, for the listeners uh, that have not read the book yet, can you maybe just tell first what the industry is and how, you know, how that might be different than let's say somebody that works at a general nutrition centers. <laughs> sure. Well, let me go ahead and turn off the entire audience by saying that it's my career as a lobbyist. Yes. Uh, very popular group that I think only makes uh, the, uh, makes new car sales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a bit more, bit more popular. I think we were all good last out of our profession. But so yeah, there, there, there are some definitely uh, some big egos. But in a lot of ways, uh, what I describe is something that all people deal with, and that you've got managers who may be caught in a crossfire of of motivations. The mm. top may not want to address big issues, or they may have no power to address big issues. So it. Um, some differences, but definitely some commonalities as well. Yeah, that's what I like about it because even though it's a different industry and some of it might be different, at the heart of it is leadership. And whether or not you are in a PR firm or you're a lobbyist or you're in the Oval Office, you have to have leadership that's willing to step up and you know, be able to tackle very difficult issues. And um, one of the topics that I want to sort of throw out there um, that we had discussed through email sort of to talk about is, you know, when you have some something that happens here and you call it social pyrotechnics, tell me a little bit about what that is. Sure. That social pyrotechnics is just that uh, there's, there's a lot of things and social, of course, social, uh, social media these days, um, bad behavior, people just getting in, uh, raising emotions beyond what we've seen before. Um, we're seeing it in politics now. We are, we are seeing it in business where things are just a bit more combustible 
right now because of the world we're in. Tensions are high, and as a result of that, people are saying things that they've never said before, or conversations are getting out that normally were behind closed doors. And literally, um, it's just like with a fireworks show, they're on display for everybody. And the damage that could be done when that happens is, is intense. Uh, yeah. I, I talk about a few different examples in the book about companies that have had uh, huge reputational hits from what started with a small fire within their, mm. within their organization. A, a, few, uh, a few sparks, if you will, carry in that, uh, that arsonist theme. But something that would have been a minor issue before suddenly uh, takes over an organization, takes over news cycles because an organization didn't take care of the initial problem. We have on the phone with us Pete Havel. He is the author of The Arsonist in the Office. He's a speaker and trainer and consultant. Um, and Pete, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned was that it's all on display for everyone. And I try very hard to be uh, cautiously optimistic um, with our social media channels because the company that we work for, um, although we are not politicians and we or um, we also are individuals, sometimes what you may say on social media or something that you may share on your personal page, although that's your right to do so, I kind of look at it like this. If you just look at the election results, for instance, you've got maybe about roughly 50% are going to agree with you, 50% are not going to agree with you. So how do people balance, and I guess this is more just a conversational piece, but how do people balance, on one hand, they want to stand on their principle of what they believe in, but then on the other hand, they have to realize that they could be alienating 50% of their potential customers. That's right. And and you have to, one, you have to be comfortable with with what your stances are, and hopefully that is for any organization that they want to be ethical, they want to be transparent, they they want to uh, to provide outstanding customer service. And there's going to be times where there's challenges to that. That somebody gets their nose out of joint about a, an experience with with one company or another. But in a lot of ways, it's how you handle it. It's how you um, uh, how how you do your follow up. It is it's putting out those fires and sorry for the theme again, but um, it is, it, it's customer um, customer care that you need to do. And if there's a problem and it becomes public, you need to address it, bring in people that know how to, how to handle the media. If it's a big enough issue and uh, address it forthrightly and not, not cover up, not um, uh, obfuscate or, or, or change the subject, address it, address it completely and move on because mm. there are, and we see it constantly, lots of stories of companies that try to get cute with an issue, tell half the story. And then what happens? Well, the other half comes out and it's yeah. never pretty. I was thinking of a story that happened. Um, and this is very, very Tennessee because, you know, Tennessee Vols haven't done too well in the last little bit in football. Right. So, um, I don't know what your what your fan who you're a fan of some somebody in Texas I'm sure right. That's right. I'm a Baylor Bear. Okay, we got right. our challenges too. Hey, my uh, you know you're friends with Kevin, my uncle, and he told me of the experience of being at the Baylor game. Incredible pregame, uh, second only to probably ours. But um, no, I'm kidding. But um, one of the things that happened here locally, Pete. Um, and Mark, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in it was literally it was a governmental agency that was talking about this fire that had occurred down by where the stadium is. 
and they used the funny enough it was a fire coincidentally but it was a boat that had burned down right there the vol navy and they mentioned something uh making fun of the tennessee losing the first two games and they just received a storm of just controversial stuff because this was and i and, and I, mark do you remember that post on twitter that came out yeah, it was, it was the Tennessee Wildlife uh, Agency. Yeah, and do you remember the comment they made? I can't even remember, but it had something to do. Yeah, with... well, they, they yeah they made the similar they, the the connection between that fire and the disaster on the field. Right, right. So what was intended to be a joke turned out to be something that they regretted and had to come out and do a public apology and so forth. I mean, that's something kind of what you're talking about, right, Pete? Exactly. Yeah, you have to be smart if you've got a got an issue. Don't uh, don't play acute. Don't um, uh, don't have it as amateur hour. Address the problem and right. bring the grownups into the room to decide what the response is going to be. There's a hey, book. Pete, oh, sorry. Let me, yeah, let me ask you. Um, handling these small problems, or you say they start small, but because they're mishandled internally, they turn into these bigger. Uh, problems in the public eye. Is this is this problem a CEO training type of problem, or should they be hiring or have a a, a firm on retainer to hi- to handle this problem that comes up maybe rarely or maybe frequently, depending on the company, or should you or should they be looking at hiring an, an employee full time to handle this type of thing? Great question. That, Great question. Let me answer that two different ways, if I could. I've spent way too much time in politics if I'm giving responses <laughs> like that. But I've got a couple things that come to mind. In, in terms of the, uh, if you've got a big enough issue that is going to cost you money, invest and and you see that this is going to be a hit on your customer base or or cause problems. Absolutely, spend the money to get people that know how to talk, um, that know how to deliver a message to the public and invest because that investment is going to come back and either save you money or potentially if you turn it around right, it's going to make you money because you're going to be trusted more. Um, in terms of other fires that, that start small, let me, let me take that on and Mark on, uh, on, on your question. That is, that is definitely something where, where CEO level people need to be involved on the other part. And my other answer, let me give you this. And that is when, Issues start internally within organizations. And I'll give you a, a for instance. Um, when issues start within organizations and they fumble the ball internally and then it becomes an external problem. I talk in the book about a company named Amerisource Bergen. They're a pharmaceutical distributor, huge, multi-billion dollar company. And they had their chief operating officer many, many years ago raise a concern about drugs being too many drugs within the company be, being sent out, mislabeled or underdosed. You can imagine the type of problems that, that starts to create in people's lives. It, it could create real challenges. Well, their chief operating officer raised a concern about this within the C-suite. And so he said, guys, we've got a problem. This could be a legal problem. This could be a financial problem. He pushed and pushed to say the company needed do the right thing and not allow so many of these unlabeled drugs, mislabeled drugs to go out there. And they fired him. Well, 
as a result of that, they went from having somebody that was vocally standing behind the organization's quoted values of saying, we believe in doing the right thing by our customers. They pushed back against that guy, the CLO. They fired him and they turned him into a federal whistleblower as a result. And as a result of that, that act, when he became a whistleblower, he went to the federal government and said, here's what's happening. I've been fired and I raised this concern within the company. That process resulted in a federal lawsuit that caused Marisource Bergen to pay $875 million in fines to the, uh, to the government as a result of that one act because it, it took what started as a small problem and what could have been a resolvable problem yeah. and turned it into an absolute financial nightmare and a reputational nightmare. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, that is that, and, and, and although that may or may not ha- how often does that happen? And I think it probably happens more frequently than we'd think or know, but people have put into place those sort of mechanisms to uh, sort of pivot from the problem earlier. Absolutely. And that, that type of scale rarely happens, but the, that challenge of not addressing the small problem at hand and it turning into something big, I can imagine that happens in, in companies across the country every day. Mm. Well, and, and I recall, I remember I was trying to find it online whenever of the Twitter, he was the CFO of Twitter. And this has been like a few years ago, but it, it was an example where you know, he was trying to do, and this is different than your situation there, but it's just another example of how people have to be careful and they have to be very diligent because the Twitter CFO thought he was sending a direct message to someone. And in fact, he was tweeting it. So when, you know, social media is different in different respects, you know, you've got Facebook, you have Twitter, you have LinkedIn, you have all these different platforms. Um, you have email. I mean, frankly, that's another platform you have a uh, public um, just debate or you have your, your your speech that you might give you have people recording you through these now phones that are everywhere so you constantly have to be cognizant of, of what you're saying and how you're saying it unfortunately because if you are in a position of uh, not authority but that you are tr- to be trusted, you have to be so vigilant. And this Twitter uh, situation is an example of that because he tweeted out, um, I still think we should buy them. He is on your schedule for December 15th or 16th. We will need to sell them. I have a plan. So what was intended to be a personal direct message, he ended up sending that out and even, you know, sort of name names. And that's, that's a, and he's no longer with them, of course. But that's a career-killing type of mistake, Right. Absolutely. You, you've got to be, you've got to be careful. You've got to be smart and, uh, really think through every time you hit send. Um, I know, I know a couple of people whose careers have ended, um, in, uh, in certain jobs because they hit reply all instead of reply. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. That one Wait, is very frequent. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kevin, I mean, but also the consequences in that tweet could be violation of an sec um you know insider trading mm. would you think could I mean, be. because you're talking about talking about giving a, a policy an internal policy that could affect value in a public traded stock elon musk uh triggered that type of concern just 
few months back when he was talking about where he thought the price of uh, of Tesla was going to be. It started off right. with those types of concerns. Oh, wow. Very common. Yeah, and it just there's a mean. I mean, you just Google it, and there's lots of stories about these types of things. People putting the wrong links, you know, because they thought they copied the right link into their clipboard, and it was another link that may have not been what they wanted to publicly be shown. Um, if you can just imagine, <laughs> those happen way more frequently than you could ever imagine. And I'm talking about, you know, sports journalists. It could be news journalists. You know, you had the lady in uh, England who tweeted out uh, by accident a voice memo that she had made some derogatory comments about the queen. I mean, the list can go on. Now, Pete, back 60 years ago, well, heck, even 10 years ago, maybe, or 20 years ago, your need to be constantly on guard, and as we call it in the business, be on, um, was much different than it is today. And you have to be vigilant, right? I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. You do. And, and it, uh, as much in a in positive mode as a negative mode in that uh, you certainly need to be careful for your own, your own reputation, but the people that are coming after you, maybe your competition, it, both at work uh, or in a competitor's uh, offices, you just don't know who is watching and you definitely are going to be shocked at how quickly bad news can spread. Yeah. We have so Pete. Gotta be careful. Yeah. We have Pete Havel with us online here on the housing hour presented by mortgage investors group. He is the author of the arsonist in the office. He's a speaker, trainer, and consultant. Um, Pete also definitely, if you have, uh, if you're, if you're a company owner or maybe you're someone that's in the sphere of influence and the leadership team, um, reach out to Pete. If you, he's got a seminar that he can put together a training platform. Um, there's a variety of ways that you can interface with Pete. You would start, I think by reading the books so, so that you could sort of get a full context of what, um, he, uh, has experienced. And, um, being that you have done PR work and a lobbyist, um, those, those types of jobs being that type of role for a company is difficult work, but it's also important because you understand the bigger picture because of the nature of what your particular industry is. I, I would, would you agree with that, Mark? He does. I definitely agree. agree with that. Yeah. And that's what makes it so, I think, compelling too. Um, and, and what's just for the person out there listening before we pivot and I got a few other topics I'd like to, to tackle, um, what types of, of training opportunities, or, uh, I guess maybe even you could have a company event that what kind of things are you doing and are you being asked to do for those that are interested out there? I appreciate that. Um, some of the things that I'm running into so far and my business is evolving quickly, uh, in that I'm finding new audiences every day that are, that are finding my message compelling. I'm doing training for, for managers, a uh, large manufacturing company that has had some ethical challenges and wants me to, um, to speak about my fireproofing message, which is essentially a message that says lock down your organization's, values protect them at every step of the way from the hiring process all the way through employees experience all the way to the end of that if as, as somebody leaves or as leadership leaves so to uh, to have a positive proactive culture that's going on at all times educating people about the right way to do things but also having plans in place for what happens if something goes wrong 
I'm talking to law enforcement groups. I'm talking to, uh, to people that are in uh, all parts of the business world about those those types of principles and teaching them the steps. And a lot of this, guys, is things that people know instinctively but probably never put into practice because of blind spots that we have in our lives or, okay, I don't want to deal with this issue. I'll let such and such action go in the office. It probably wasn't that bad a situation that, that occurred. I'll let that slide. And when you do, everybody else is watching and you're creating more problems for you. So that, uh, that training, consulting, doing tons of speaking at Chambers of Commerce and Trade Association. So those, that is a long answer to your short question. But uh, have something to fit just about every organization that wants to, to tighten up its culture and do the right thing by their employees and their, uh, and their shareholders. I, and I don't know that you don't may have this in your training uh, platform yet, but I think one thing uh, as a takeaway from our last uh, segment or my, our last uh, show with you, which was when you are uh, looking to move your career to another company, um, that the grass is not always greener on the other side. It could be that they're, they're using the true green service and they have, you know, put the proper lime in and all of that. But once, uh, once spring comes, you know, they haven't put the pre-emergent in. Um, and you, you probably have taught me something that last show that I really took to heart, which was, you know, you thought and prayed about this move for a long time, but you just, you sort of, you went that direction and you took the job, but looking back, it probably would have been a better decision not to take it. Well, we know that because hindsight's twenty twenty. but even just not even putting the young lady, what was the young lady's name that you called or the lady's name? We, we call her Hazel. Hazel. So even though, even if Hazel had not existed, you, you could have probably uh, made some different choices. Do you have that something? Because I know that you could help people with, because people are always looking to move and they're trying to better their careers and so forth. But there is so, a top 10 list of things to consider when you're going to interview at a, at a company. Absolutely. There, there, are, there are all sorts of tools. I mean, we are in 2019. Information is everywhere. And there's things like looking at Glassdoor. Great website to give you a wide range of opinions from former employees and current employees about what it's like to work somewhere. And sure, you're going to get some rants and people that that had uh, a bad experience in an organization, but you're also going to get some honest takes, and you get some things at least at the very least to think about when you start seeing patterns of people saying this is a toxic organization or uh, people are being humiliated at work, all these different things you may see, you need to think about it, especially if you're seeing multiple entries. Um, you can, you can Google a company, you can look at, um, you can make outreach through LinkedIn to people that may have worked there before or they're currently asking questions. What's it like to work there? Because if you don't do that to a certain extent, and it was, Certainly the case in uh, in my situation, I probably could have done all those things and saved myself a whole lot of heartache and probably uh, saved myself from spending a couple of years on writing a book in that part of me um, wondered what was going on within the organization that I, I ended up working for, but I never asked all the questions and I still didn't use all the tools. So yeah. my book gives you a ton of tools 
to um, to evaluate what you're doing. And I especially learned if you're on the fence, don't make a move mm. because you need to be going into a great situation. You need to be going into a uh, an improving situation. You a don't want to be tossing a coin. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I think I always use sports analogies and you had uh, many coaches, you have had many coaches that have left different schools because they went to their dream job and it ended up being a great fit for them. Um, but you, if you are Nick Saban, you're probably not going to go coach Mississippi State, you know, um, <laughs> unless you just have, you, you want to have a huge challenge. And that also certainly could play into it. But what we're talking about in the scenario of the Nick Saban comparison is that that is not a that is a lateral move from a positional standpoint, but he certainly wouldn't go there and coach for less than what he's coaching at Alabama for. So if you're in a situation where maybe you're a C, maybe let's say you're, you're a great leader within an organization, you're on the executive team. Um, what I think you're saying, Pete, is that whenever you have that next step, that next move, you have to think, you have to play the tape all the way through. Like, what does this look like for me in the future? What potential movement can I have? What do I know about the organizational chart? What do I know about the senior people that are on the leadership team? How do they make decisions? How do they, um, what is their vision? What's their strategic objectives? What do they use for project planning? Who is accountable to who? How am I going to be able to take what I know and implement that into what I can help with? I mean, those are all huge questions for anybody that's going anywhere. No doubt. And, and you need to, uh, you need to have a feeling that you can trust these people. Um, and that, um, your, your values match up the parents. What I describe in the book is a, is a culture that I'm sure at one point, um, had, had ethical values, but they had, the train had left the station on that long ago from what what I experienced. And when that happens, uh, no matter how good a person you are, no matter how good an employee you may be, you've got a heck of a situation on your hands and, and one that, that can have serious ramifications for your career. Yeah. I, I like, um, I like the topics that you have uh, put together. We have, we have a couple other things, but before we let you go, Pete, I wanted to hit on just a few other items if you, if you have the time. Um, and that has to do with, and it's very interesting because Mark at MIG, we all feel like we're family and I know everybody says that that's kind of, a, yeah, we're family, but there is that sense of family, you know, um, Pete in, in Mark's role in our, as our Oak Ridge manager operation has been there since 1994 when Heath Schuller came in second in the Heisman. He, so he's been there a long time. Right. But, um, because of that family atmosphere, I mean, you know, there's a lot of hugs, you know, there's handshakes, you know, a lot of these things, but, I think you, what you, let's talk about that just quickly because, you know, hugs are something that, you know, and handshakes, any type, I mean, these are things that people, guys that are, it's 2019 and we have to consider these things when we are going into new workplaces, if we're visiting maybe a companion branch or these are things that you have to be conscious of. What is your position on those things, Pete? Am I pro-hug or anti-hug? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I want you to come down on this one way or another. <laughs> it, it is, and, and you certainly want to, um, as this my checklist before hugging, <laughs> I, I think you've just got to be careful in this environment. No matter who you are, male or female, 
uh, manager or rank and file employee, you better know who you're dealing with. It, you better that, know who uh, you're hugging. <laughs> that's right. Uh, ask, uh, ask questions, then hug. Uh, but, uh, I mean, so much of this, whether it is a, uh, it, whether it's a hug, whether it's a joke, whether it is yeah. uh, just, just a, a lighthearted uh, comment that, that uh, would have been taken as universally funny by, by the book, the entire break room, before now, maybe somebody's trigger for a lawsuit or um, or a complaint against you, and I, I just urge caution from a variety of angles. We see so much now, and, and it is it's both depressing and understandable at the same time. But um, there's been some stories coming out of the New York Times that have talked about the decreased interest in male managers mentoring female employees, and it is. It's happening. It's it's tangible. There there are anecdotes, and I've certainly heard some of it, of just a lot of resistance to people not wanting to put themselves in a situation where they could be accused of something. And it is uh, it's just treacherous right now, and unfortunately, it's treacherous both for men and women because women, in a case like that, are being harmed by um, being lumped in with those rare but uh, powerful false accusers. And it, it just creates a tough environment right now. And uh, as a dad of a 15-year-old, wait a second, I better correct that because she listens when I'm on the radio, a 16-year-old, yeah. um, that, that bothers me <laughs> yeah. that, that uh, you know, she may not have those opportunities. But as somebody who dealt with a false accuser, oh, goodness, I, I, I fully understand the impact of what can happen if uh, – if you receive just one uh, errant accusation against you, I've seen it ruin people's experiences within a company, and it's powerful, and it's a stain that doesn't go away. Yeah, I think to your point, um, I don't know if you recall, this is a random comparison, and I'm not suggesting this is at all the same thing, but you look at uh, different movies that have ever come out, and for instance, um, Trading Places comes to mind with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Do you remember that movie? I do. Yeah. So Dan Aykroyd was ruined overnight. Just, you know, Eddie Murphy took everything, his job, his cars, everything. And, you know, he was out on the street. He was homeless. And I'm not suggesting if you go hug somebody tonight or today that you're going to end up like Dan Aykroyd. But he put himself in tough positions. He ended up having his whole persona stolen. But it it all started as a bet by two guys in an executive office. And they made that bet. And it just shows you like how, and that is such a uh, over the top example, but it, it, it usually always starts with something small and it snowballs and things get out of control. Then there's misinformation and then there's, you know, hyperbole. And then you all, all of a sudden you've got a problem and you have to address right. it. Um, and well, and, yeah. And, and this is something that, that applies in so many ways. We talked about public relations earlier and, dealing with the crisis publicly, but the concept of if there is a, a vacuum, like gossip and rumors, et cetera, can fill that, that vacuum quicker than anything else in the world. Mm. And so that, uh, especially in this environment, you have to be careful and you have to be telling your story and you can't make yourself vulnerable in any ways. Yeah. So it, um, there, 
vulnerable to an attack um, right, from, right. Uh, from someone no matter who they are. I couldn't agree more. That's a good point. And a couple of other things too, Pete, because handshakes are another thing. I mean, uh, you know, banning a handshake due to, you know, another coworker not wanting it or being in contact with another coworker. Um, you know, those are things that are in the news as well today. Where do you stand on handshakes? <laughs> I, I'm pro handshake. Maybe just that, uh, that distant one, not the, uh, uh, the, the double handshake that they might get anything uh, at the car lot or something like that to, uh, to, to welcome you to the showroom. Um, we really have reached a ridiculous point in, in yeah. society <laughs> where those are, are being discussions that, I mean, that was all over the British press for, uh, for three or four days of should something be done because, mm. uh, much like, um, other things are considered a gateway to bad behavior mm. is a handshake, a, yeah. a gateway to, to a hug, which could be a gateway to something else. Wow. It really is absurd, <laughs> but it points to what a weird world we're living in and how much people need to watch their backs. That is unbelievable. Now, Mark, are you still there? I'm here. Are you pro handshake and pro hug? <laughs> well, you know, what, what Pete says, um, I had training with as a scout leader in the Boy Scout of America yeah. um, because what he mentions there is what they refer to as grooming. And, um, and, and it's, it, it is a real thing. So grooming. handshakes, yes, absolutely. But like Pete said, a handshake with a double handshake with a pull in closer with a little hand on the shoulder. Mm. It starts to uh, drop the defense of, of, of a person. That's where, um, you know, some of the misunderstandings can occur and that's where some of the grooming to abuse can occur. You're right. You're right. No, I agree completely. I think you have to know your audience in a lot of ways and you do. And I think, it. yeah, I think cause Pete made the point so, too that about being able to, know who you're speaking to and know what you're doing. Yeah. Self-awareness and situational awareness are, are huge. Um, I, I, I talk in the book and this was something I really need to think about because as I discuss in the book, I got obliterated in a, in a workplace where I thought I was pretty savvy walking in. I thought I had handled just about everything in life. Mm. And I quickly realized after being in about the most bizarre culture imaginable, I had some blind spots and I was frankly naive about some things. And I didn't take as seriously some situations that I really should have taken with a lot more seriousness and people in one way or another, and maybe talking to your spouse about it or uh, talking to your friends when this type of thing comes up. Um, how do essentially where are my blind spots in life? And everybody probably has a close friend that uh, they can tell them of, man, you get this wrong all the time. Or in meetings, um, people are talking, they're telling you something, but you're not listening. We all do that, but figuring out what those those blind spots are can really help you in a lot of situations because it's going to make you smarter. And you know, Mark, that pairs well with our emotional intelligence series that we've had uh, with Daniel. Uh, definitely something that people should check out. And Pete, uh, if you want to check out our podcast, we have a gentleman who, Daniel Park, and he does uh, 
series in a class to realtors talking about emotional IQ. And one of the big points that he makes is emotional sort of awareness and, and self-awareness as it relates to how you can help with a transaction by, by understanding, number one, what it is that you're being perceived as and also understanding where they're coming from. So that's huge, isn't it, Mark? It is. And, but, you know, so much of it, when it, it hits me, when I hear this thing, it seems like it's common sense, but, but really um, it may be common sense for me because i I have experience for 30 years as a manager. So I've seen yeah. a lot of stuff, Yeah, but um, is, I, I just wonder, you know, Pete, are there ways to train a staff? Are there people out there that come in and train on this type of subtleties that you can get caught up and tripped up on? There still are. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of training in that world, and it sounds like uh, Daniel that you mentioned may be, may be a great person for that, but um, uh, some of it just just comes from people knowing you and finding out, uh, you know, ask, asking the right questions. And that's where I say, you know, my wife would gladly say what my weaknesses are. I mean that in a very positive way. But uh, people that uh, you know know you well and are in a caring way um, will maybe give you a little bit of intel on uh, on what you may miss because it's to a lot of people it may be pretty glaring, but you're not going to see it because you may not um, be the best have the best perspective on it. So yeah, there is. There's definitely some training in that regard, and uh, it's not something that, that I'm an expert in, but there's lots of consultants out there that can do it. Well, I would love to connect you and Daniel just so you can listen to the show. I think that you guys could maybe even uh, learn something from one another because I think both of you have a great perspective on both of your subjects that you discuss. And a subject expert is a subject expert. So I, I consider both of you all very valuable parts of our show. And we so appreciate you giving the opportunity to us to be able to um, partner with you. And we this is Pete Havel. He is the author of The Arsonist in the Office. You can find it on Amazon. We'll have the link on our website as well. He's a speaker, trainer, and consultant. Um, you can reach out to him. Um, you can email him at Pete at PeteHavel.com. Is that still a good connecting connecting place for you? It sure is. And yes. you can partner with him. We'll have his uh, contact information and all of that up front. And, um, you know, really appreciate what you're doing and giving us information. And um, from all of our listeners out there, we definitely appreciate your time and your consideration. And for that, we give you a big applause because this is a service that you're doing for a lot of people. Um, Mark, I would love to have him out. We need to consider that and doing a talk for our managers and, and helping to get the word out could be a nice topic for our branch manager conference next year, maybe. I think that, oh, oh, that is an excellent idea. We just yes. had our conference okay. this year. So we'll, cons- we'll, we'll definitely put that into the mix, no doubt at all. I really appreciate that. Um, well, Pete, anything else that you have to share with us? Gentlemen, I, I, I can't thank you enough for having me on. I don't have anything to add. We covered a lot, but I look forward to the next time. Uh, uh, everyone, everyone keep their fire extinguishers close to them and watch out for the arsenic. I love it. Well, yeah. 
Well, thank you all for joining us today on the Housing Hour. We definitely want you guys to connect with with us at thehousinghour.com. Facebook as well, facebook.com slash thehousinghour. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, and you can share this show with friends and family. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. We'd love for you to go there and check out our website, migonline.com. To Mark and to our guest, Pete, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour.